0: Ready home. You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood.
1: He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly
0: burned. He has razors on his right hand.
1: The bastard son of a hundred
2: made us.
0: They burned him to death in his boiler room. And they hid the remains. But he can't get you
1: now. He's dead, honey, because
2: mommy killed him.
0: When I was alive, I might have been a little body. but after
1: they killed me, I became something much, much worse.
0: <laughs> this is Now Playing's A Nightmare in Elm Street Retrospective Series. Welcome to Freddy 101. Hosted by Arnie, Stewart, and Brock. Twisted lonely souls, the worst of the criminal insane. We got special work to do here, you and me. We will be reviewing all Freddy's films, from Wes Craven's original through 2010's hotly anticipated remake. Who is that? But beware, these discussions will be spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Time, you can find new episodes of this series released every week at nowplayingpodcast.com. I've got the brain. Today we're talking about *A Nightmare on Elm Street* Part Two: Freddy's Revenge, which my wife described as like Manazuma's
2: Revenge, only less pleasant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Starring Robert Englund and a whole bunch of people we'd never see again in any other movies. That is so not true. Tell me who else you've seen in this movie that you've seen some... Oh, Ferris Bueller's father is in this. And Grady in this movie was Max from Weird Science. Came out the same year as this did.
2: And Mark Patton.
0: Mark Patton, he was great in that thing he did with that other guy. Is doing stage in Mexico, actually. Wow! I actually have one person, Hope Lang. Oscar nominee,
2: another mother Oscar nominee.
1: Yeah, all the parents are usually washed up real actors. (laughs) (laughs) She was in Blue Velvet. I know her from Blue Velvet because I know the movie very well.
2: The little girl
0: went on to be pretty big during my Days of Our Lives watching years. <laughs> I think I made my point. This is Brock. Stewart in L.A. And Arnie. Here we go with Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. We pick up five years later, yet we're in the same exact decade. <laughs> same. I would like to actually
2: address the timeline issue. Please. In our last podcast, I was kind of supposing how much time had passed between when they killed Freddy and now. And so I did a little bit of research to find out. What the timeline is in these movies. Because we talked about it back with the Friday the Mm 13th. And even though Nightmare on Elm Street 1 came out in 1984. If you follow all of the explicit dates that are stated in the movie and things. Those take place in 1981, the first movie. Hmm. And it kind of fits. And so this movie now is in 1986, even though it came out in 85. Mm -hmm. And Freddy was killed in the late 60s. Really?
0: Oh. I always thought that sweater of his was like Bert and Ernie's, you know, the 70s sort of stripey thing. I didn't realize, was that style popular in the 60s of sweater? or
2: Was child killing popular in the 60s? You know, he was his own <laughs> man. He did what he
0: wanted. Wow, he bucked the trends. Wow, that's a trailblazer. <laughs> uh.
1: Before <laughs> Charles Manson and the Zodiac Killer, we had Freddie.
0: Wow. Sure. So, Arnie, I think we all value a plot summary. As you stated, it's five
2: years after the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and finally the realtor has unloaded Nancy Thompson's old house, although he never (laughs) took the bars off the windows, which may be why it's five years. I tried to sell a house, they made me change the wallpaper. They don't even take bars off the windows. A new family has moved in, the Walshes, a perfect 2.3 nuclear family who actually eats breakfast together at the table, with their teenage son, Jesse, new to Springwood, Ohio, but what they don't realize is the house is haunted by the spirit of Freddy, who is going to use Jesse to return to power and come into the real world and kill people. Jesse has dreams where he becomes Freddy and goes to an S&M bar and kills his gym coach. And then Freddy goes to a pool party. I'm not joking. <laughs> and it ends with Jesse's girlfriend. Declaring her love for Freddy and Freddy melting. (laughs) We're going to get into more detail, but I think overall it's about Freddy possessing Jesse and using Jesse as a gateway to the real world just because Jesse's dad was a cheapskate on real estate.
0: Well, that's the gimmick of the film, the possession angle, which I actually thought was pretty clever as a way to get Freddy, and this is going to sound really crazy, but more realistic of a killer. In the first movie, I had talked about how it's weird that the dreams and the reality kind of mixed. Here, to me, it made more sense that he's kind of almost schizophrenic, that he becomes Freddy. Now, people seeing Freddy when it's really him in the real world, you could argue you know what they're seeing is not really Freddy, but we see Freddy because it's a visual for the movies. But they seem to see Freddy, so that's kind of vague. But the idea of possessing somebody to kill, I thought, worked for this movie. I thought that was a clever way to get Freddy to the next level. I did.
1: For me, it should be said that although this is set five years post Nightmare on Elm Street, they rushed this in production. It was, what, under a year or not much more than a year from the time Nightmare on Elm Street was released in theaters to this movie being wrapped and scheduled to be put out there. And I think that they fell back on a common cliche of sequels. When you don't have a lot of time and you're making a sequel to something that you're not even sure why it's a big hit yet, you change the gender. That's a common one. They love to do. It's like, okay, if it was a girl being attacked by Freddy, this time it will be a boy being attacked by Freddy. And I think that was really sort of the angle on this one. You know, instead of a drunk mom, we have an overbearing dad. Instead of the girl being a victim of Freddy, this time the boy is going to be the new killer.
0: But, Stuart, with Freddy in the first movie, it was more the dream thing. This one was more based in a reality kind of schizophrenic kind of thing. That change also... Do you think that's part of this formula kind of idea of changing the killer ideas? Does that fit into your theory of how they pushed it out quickly without knowing what they had?
1: I feel that this is a fairly good representation of them not knowing what they had, which is kind of strange because the title is called A Nightmare on Elm Street. You would think that telegraphs the fact that dreams are the most important part – of Freddy's allure, but really they just seem hung up on the glove. The fact that most of this does not take place in a dream world or that Freddy's powers are not limited to a dream world is a mistake that I think they will quickly correct in the future sequels.
2: Well, the one thing with this is they did say that, and having watched this very closely, it's when Jesse falls asleep, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation when Jesse falls asleep, then Freddy is able to come out and manipulate Jesse kind of through dreams. And when the victims fall asleep, Freddy is able to get them. It's like they have to synchronize sleeping. And then later in the movie, that's kind of forgotten and nobody's really falling asleep, but... You yeah. know, it, but kind of again, like Jekyll and Hyde, Freddy keeps getting stronger. You say right. Jekyll and Hyde. You know
1: what I kept thinking of was this seems like a werewolf story now. Freddy is the werewolf within, you know, thriller, the big Michael Jackson video had just debuted like the year before. I'm sure that was an influence on this. And it really takes the whole idea that this average boy, when it goes at night, it's more the fact that it turns night than it really is that he's asleep becomes the Freddy monster, and it's all linked to his sexuality, which I'm sure we're going to get into as well, that he has dark impulses inside of him he can't control that make him become Freddy.
2: You know, you say the Thriller video, I just wish he would have led a rousing chorus line of do the Freddy at the pool party. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all?
1: I'm still singing that one. I'm walking down the street, and people are like, what is he doing? And they can't can't even begin to emulate how cool I look.
2: Because you're nodding your head? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your, Your head like this? Anyway. So let's start with the movie. We start the movie with the kids on a bus that we'll find out is being driven by Freddy. And despite having seen this movie countless times, watching it this time on finally having a TV at home that's worthy of watching movies on, I noticed that during one scene and one scene only, Robert Englund is driving the bus, sans Freddy makeup. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, no, I I caught
1: that one, too. You know what? I'm going to say probably a lot of negative things very soon. I like this opening. I'll give this movie that this seems like an effective way of introducing a character into a dream world. That, you know, there's just something quaint and very old-fashioned about being driven on a yellow school bus. And the way that we're not sure who the main character is and uh, until it's whittled down. More and more characters are getting off. And it just ends up being this very freaky-looking emo kid and a couple of blonde girls who are whispering and giggling to each other uh, before they ride off into the desert and become sucked into Freddy's
0: nightmare. I have to say, Stuart, I completely agree with you. I thought this opening scene was a great way to open this movie. And what I liked a lot about this movie was how it unfolded because it really felt like a dream or a nightmare in that it started off normally, and then the next thing you know, the bus is going off the road. One thing builds upon another, builds upon another... And finally, Freddy comes slowly down the path of the bus, scratching his nails slowly against the seats. It builds and builds and builds. And I thought that was a great way to open this movie. I got really instantly into it, and I thought it was a great way to reintroduce Freddy... And show us who the main character will be eventually.
2: Again, going back to the first podcast, you guys mentioned how because that movie opened with Tina's dream, you guys would have thought Tina was the star of the movie. Here we start in Jesse's dream, and Jesse is the star of the movie, but that would have again been a great fake out had Jesse, you know, died. Mm -hmm. I would have been happy with Jesse not being the main character of this movie. Before we move off this opening dream, there's something that every time I put in this disc and watch this opening really bothers me. And it is specifically the music. Every time this movie starts, I'm like, it sounds like whale song. It's like, yeah. I am surprised that this composer ever worked again. And yet he's now like an A-list composer. He's Sam Raimi's go-to guy, Christopher Young. Hmm. Did he do Spider-Man? He did Spider-Man 3 and redid most of 2 after Raimi's notorious falling out with Elfman. Hmm. And he is probably best known for doing the Hellraiser music, that little famous Hellraiser. Oh,
1: that is a great score. That's a great one. I love that one.
2: Yeah, but here it just
1: reminds me a whale song and it is so Oh, oh it doesn't terrible. remind me a whale song. I'm pretty sure it is
0: a whale song. <laughs> they went to SeaWorld and recorded it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no it. You missed the piano theme in this one. I was shocked to find out that at no point that I can recall does the classic da 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 None of that ever happens. How could they not do that? They didn't know what they had. And I feel like that is my review of this movie is they didn't know what worked about the first movie. And so they just kind of grabbed a whole bunch of stuff and ran. And this was the very rushed results.
2: We're introduced to Jesse's family with a wonderful shot of some fried eggs that I don't know if it's supposed to symbolize anything or if it's (laughs) just an insert shot of eggs. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it's boobs because like Stuart said it's about sexuality, you got the two yokes right there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what <laughs> to say to that.
0: But they established right away that they just moved into the house because when he wakes up he's tripping over boxes and things.
2: Also right away, they set up that this movie's gonna be funny because Jesse wakes up with a big scream, and you got the father, like, just looking over the newspaper, waiting for the scream to end, and then just resumes reading the newspaper like nothing. And the little girl's like, Mom, why can't Jesse wake up like everyone else? So right there, we've established that the tone of this movie is going to be different. They're going for some humor on this. Yeah, it's pretty snarky.
1: The other thing that might shock you is that there is a fairly gratuitous shot of this boy getting out of bed in his underwear. You know, normally in horror movies, there usually is what I would call the titty shot. The no reason that it exists other than the girl has to put on the bra and give you a little something. It's very rare that men flash the same amount of flesh. That happens early here and it
2: I don't know, I was kind of like, that was surprising. It's not just that he's in his underwear. He, like, reaches his hand all down there and maneuvers it around, too. He's, like, adjusting. It's
1: the kind of thing that if it had been a girl and she gets up and she doesn't have clothes on and she puts on a bra and we linger and watch that, it would go, of course, we're in that movie. It's a low-budget slasher movie. They've switched genders and they've kept that kind of ogling. And it sets up a tone for something that I'm sure we're going to talk about pretty soon.
2: We are. And... Here's the thing, though, that I've read about this movie is while the male is the hero, he's not the most manly man. He's kind of, you know, the damsel in distress in this movie because he's the one possessed. Yeah. He's not Nancy, our hero. Nancy was more manly than this guy. Nancy manned up and ramboed out. He just kind of cries the whole movie.
1: Yeah, he is a uh, vessel of the Freddy power, such
0: as it is. I thought when they introduced the character throughout gym class, throughout school and things, he did come off a little wimpy and, and, and a victim. And he becomes friends with the guy who bullies them because I guess they have a lot of time together doing push-ups. But even doing push-ups wasn't very strong looking, let's just put it that way. And I hear what you're saying about the wimpy guy, but I also felt he played the victim pretty well. And we don't see a lot of male victims in these kinds of movies. But I do get you, he wasn't exactly manly. I don't know. I I didn't really mind him being a wimp because it kind of made sense that he could be taken over by Freddy. A stronger person would not be conquered by Freddy so easily.
2: To your point there, Brock, I think that it makes Jesse less assuming. So when, you know, Grady's alone in a room with Jesse, Grady has absolutely no fear that he's going to walk out dead Mm -hmm. because Jesse is so unassuming and so wimpy and Grady is the jock. So it does make the whole danger vibe a little more unassuming. I got a question about this opening. You guys mentioned that the Walshes are new to Springwood or new to this house. That's what I couldn't figure out. I got that they were new to Springwood because Jesse was referred to as the new kid in school and... But he already had a girlfriend. Like, how did that happen so quickly? How was he... I felt like he was really established here. Well, when the movie starts, it's not his girlfriend. It's a girl he's giving rights to school to. There's interest, but it gets more consummated as the movie goes on.
0: But she's rich. Her family is established as being the rich people. They actually say she's rich, and the party at later in the movie shows she's rich. Why is she getting rides from him in his jalopy? Why isn't she picking him up In a Rolls Royce or something.
1: They don't even live close to each other. I mean, like, she would have to walk further than she probably lives from school to get a ride from this guy. And I just think if he's only been there and hasn't even unpacked his stuff from the boxes yet, I mean, if it's been that short amount of time
2: that he's actually been in the house, how could she even know who he was? Well, I I do have to say, you say it's probably a longer walk to his house. They do take a yellow school bus to school, which means busing is still in effect. Remember, sir, when we grew up, we had to go all the way the fuck across town.
1: Yeah, it was great. So
2: maybe she has to go through the poorer Elm Street neighborhood to get to school anyway. Yeah, I guess. And they're on the same bus route, so they're, they're somewhat in proximity. And, come on, it's not like the house they moved into is in the ghetto. It's a nice suburban neighborhood. No, no, I'm, I'm not trying to imply that. But it felt
1: weird to me. This relationship feels already well-established between Lisa and Jesse, and yet he is... Brand spanking new to Springwood to the point that he doesn't even know about what had happened in his own house, which I would think would be notorious.
2: I don't think the relationship's supposed to feel established. It's supposed to feel very tentative and new at the beginning, like they just met.
0: That's what I got to. Yeah. Oh, to okay. Well, all right. So we go on, and he's slowly but surely having nightmares, and they're at school, and he becomes friends with a person who's his enemy, and we establish the coach has it in for these two and coach Snyder.
2: And let me just say, whatever the coach is on the set, it seems like there's some terrible looping going on. Like you hear this voice that's obviously like a PA going, watch out. Here comes Snyder. See you around, coach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they actually drop a line that Grady, I believe, drops a line that this guy's into S&M stuff or well, I don't know exactly what the line was. but He hangs out in queer S&M joints downtown, looks out for pretty boys like you. There you go.
2: <laughs> that's yeah. the
0: line. They establish that there and therefore later on in the movie when it comes up, they try to make that connection so it won't come out of the blue so much. And it also implies that he's making these guys do push-ups after school and, and hit the showers and all that because he wants to watch them. But we don't actually get the scene of him watching them shower Up front, we wait till later in the movie.
2: It was 85. I don't think they were ready to do that in a horror film. You know, that would have been the entire movie. Right. You know, the coach who watches the showers. Yeah. Something (laughs) like that. It wouldn't, it's not a B plot in
0: 1985. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. But they imply it, and then they do it later. But
2: wasn't that always the joke, Stuart? I mean, when we were growing up in the 80s, wasn't it always... I remember in our middle school, we had this coach who had, like, his nice white socks with the red lines pulled up almost to his knees, and everybody was joking about how he was gay. I think that was just the thing, is you joked that your gym teacher, whatever gender, male or female, was gay, and that's why they were the gym teacher.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has had a gay gym teacher. I think that's a stereotype that seems to be pervasive in... American public schools.
2: So during all this, we're really being introduced to the characters in a much slower way than we were in the first movie. Mm-hmm. In the first movie, we were led to Tina's death pretty damn quick. And that was one of the things I said I liked about the first movie was its pacing here. This is one of those movies that I, I said, oh, dear God, it's going to take a half an hour to establish the characters. That's what they do. They introduce Jesse, his girlfriend, Grady, and... Jesse's having these nightmares of Freddy being in the basement of the house. The glove is still in the radiator down there. Yes. Can we talk about the house just a
1: little bit? Because that's always been a curious point for me. This build up to this house is that for some reason, this is where Freddy's ghost is or where Freddy lives. This was never Freddy's house, correct?
0: No, I thought, well, Freddy doesn't (laughs) live in this
1: house. Freddy didn't kill anyone in this house. Freddy may have never even set foot in this house. It was Nancy's parents' house... And they were one of the many people who killed him. So why is he hanging out on Elm Street?
2: Why isn't it a nightmare in Springwood? Because this is where he and Nancy had their showdown. Okay. And, you know, the way I took it as a kid is this is where Freddy was pulled into the real world in the first one. This is where Freddy killed the mom and Freddy's power was taken away in this
0: house. I took it as the glove is still there. And so, therefore, the last thing he has in the real world that was his is the glove. And, therefore, he's hanging around where that is. To get his plots moving.
2: That's an interesting thing. Now, in my reading of this timeline, I I found a spoiler for part six. Now, I've seen part six at least a dozen times and never noticed this. If you guys don't mind a part six spoiler while we talk about part two, I believe it's established in part six that Freddy lived in this house for a period. Oh. Okay. We're going to see when we get to part six, but that's what the timeline tells me.
1: I can't wait for that to be more illuminated because I don't know why Freddy is here. I don't know why he's not at the power plant where he used to work, where he did all of his killings, where he created the knives on his hands, all of that stuff. I see him connected to another world. I don't see him... Connected to this particular
0: house. There's no one there. It's an abandoned warehouse, right? So why would he hang out there if he can't kill anybody if nobody's there, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well why, do, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he hang out
1: at the mall or the playground? Then? I, if he wants <laughs> to kill children,
2: why not go to Chuck E. Cheese? I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> where he should be hanging. But we get the dream where Freddy's down there and you get the wonderful line, you've got the body, I've got the brain. And Stuart... Probably the most famous bit
1: from this whole movie. It's the only thing I really remembered, you know, him pulling back his scalp and his pulsating little uh, cranium sticking out there as he says that line. That was That was the clincher. That made you think that the movie was going to be good.
0: <laughs> they also used that line, I believe, Isn't it in that line in the Nightmare on My Street? Well, yes. In fact, the entire Nightmare on My Street rap
2: is Fresh Prince going through what Jesse goes through in those early dreams. So there you go.
0: I love the pulsating brain bit. You can kind of know how they did that. It's one of those old school special effects. This whole movie is full of those. And even though you know how it's done, it still was somewhat effective, somewhat cheesy, but somewhat effective to get the point across. And I kind of like that kind of chintziness in this movie.
2: Now, in this movie, it was one of the early films by famed makeup guy and director Kevin Yeager. Yep. And they did a redesign of the Freddy makeup. Now, they do several redesigns of the Freddy makeup as they go along, but this one is the oddest one to me. Now, I'm a big fan here, so I I noticed these things. Did you guys notice that Freddy looked very different in this way? He had a hooked nose and his face seemed rounder. He just didn't look like the Freddy I know. I definitely noticed
1: a difference. One thing is there's not a whole lot of Freddy in this movie, so we don't have a whole lot to look at here. And the way that he's filmed, the way that they want want to create this story he's always kind of abstracted by jesse and that i don't think they want us to see his features in full bright light because he's merging with the body of this young man
2: and then we get the scene where jesse wants to go over and swim with lisa and who wouldn't Yeah, seriously. and his father makes him finally go unpack the room now Stuart, you said they just moved in because jesse has boxes admittedly there's not one other box in the entire house even the little girl is unpacked only jesse is lollygagging
0: and it's funny you should say that because when, when he came downstairs in the first scene, he boxes all over his room, I remember watching him walk in the kitchen. I'm like, wow, this kitchen's unpacked. They even have the tchotchkes on the shelves. How long have they been in this house? What any consistency? <laughs> and so it actually occurred to me because in that scene when he goes down the stairs to leave the house, the entire living room is unpacked and lots of plants all over <laughs> the house. They're unpacked too. So I completely agree with you. It's kind of uncertain how long they've been there, but clearly it's a few weeks and everyone's established except him in moving there. Maybe he's maybe that's his rebellion of I don't want to live here so I'm not going to unpack. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing. Well, then we get a wonderful music montage of unpacking. Oh.
2: <laughs> what is with
1: this? It- oh. <laughs> This is the scene in which Jesse tells on himself because at this point, (laughs) if, if Lisa, the girlfriend comes in and sees his, her quote unquote boyfriend dancing around to a early nineties. Uh, This was actually a hit song, believe it or not. It was called Hold Me by Kathy Dennis. It's not that version in the movie, but it was like the demo version that Kathy heard. Like Kathy saw Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and like, this is horrible, but I like this tune. And (laughs) recorded it. And it became a hit in about 1990, 91. But I digress. If the girlfriend walks in and sees her boyfriend behaving this way, she would immediately know that she's a beard and that her boyfriend is (laughs) gay. (laughs)
2: Is it the jumping off of the bed while popping the pop gun in the crotch region? Yeah. Uh, everything. He has a game
1: called Probe in his closet. And, <laughs> That's I mean, true. There, there is so much revealed here that if she was just a little bit savvy, if she had any gayometer at all, uh, she would know. She would know. The gaydar would tell her that this was not going to work out.
2: Now, Stuart, you're jumping to something. I, I mean, I watched this movie for 10 years and never got any gay vibe off this, but uh, horror magazine did call this the premier gay horror film of its time and say that this whole movie has this homosexual subtext. It's all subtext, other than the coach.
1: I wouldn't call it subtext. I feel like we are now at a point culturally where we can look at this and see what might have slipped by the naive in the 80s as now we know exactly that this was the intent.
2: Brock, did you pick up on any gay text in this at all?
0: Honestly, a little bit here and there, but not when Stuart makes a very convincing point that there are clues everywhere. Like, for example, later in the movie, when they're making out and, and he feels weird because Freddie's possessing him, whatever, with the girl, and he gets up and runs out, that was a big clue to me. Like, wait a second now. Couldn't he just like tell himself, what, well, what, stop and keep going on? But when he got up and stormed out there, he kind of felt that way to me like wait a second now and this girl though to her credit she rolls with the punches the whole movie you know this guy tells her she's being possessed by this guy this and that and she's okay with it yeah
1: she will make a great wife to like larry craig or some other gay republican politician that's what i kept thinking it's like she can just keep deluding herself it's like exactly just just because you dreamed of seducing and slashing up the gym teacher doesn't mean that you actually did it even though he was found
2: dead (laughs)
0: Exactly. So, yeah. so
2: there's also a lot of lines with Freddie, like, I need you, Jesse. You've got the body. And Freddie wants to be inside me and he's going to take me again. Freddie is the daddy.
1: Freddie is the big gay <laughs> daddy in this movie. He is the sexuality that is within Jesse that comes out at inappropriate times like a werewolf and makes him become monstrous.
0: But I have to say, with the Freddy stuff, I did not get the sexual stuff. I got that as he's possessing him or wants to possess him, and he actually does – actually, when he says, I want your body, it's not not a double entendre. It's, I kind of need your body to kill people because I'm not really here. That's how I took that. So while I see your argument is extremely strong, and as we continue talking, it's only going to get stronger because I know it's coming up. Yes. It it wasn't – as obvious to me, although it did cross my mind a few times, I took it more as a possession story instead of a sex story.
1: And, of course, that's how they hope you interpret it. You know, they're, they're trying to be coy. He's trying to have his cake and eating it, too. And I think that the director is in on the joke and trying to wink at the audience that are, is tapped into it. And I don't think – yeah, as a kid – I would have picked up on anything other than, oh, Freddie's all burned up. He needs a new body in order to walk around. So, of course, he would pick this one.
2: And I never saw it until I watched the bonus DVD that came with the box set in the 90s. And the directors there are like, well, yeah, it's there if you look for it. And now it's all I can see when I watch this movie. (laughs) This movie is gay to me. And the music, you know, some of the music in it, like great gay dance club hits and... Once somebody pointed it out, it was like the elephant in the room that I'd been missing. For me, the
1: reveal, the coming out of the closet scene is Jesse, yes, prancing around in his room to hold me and Lisa walking in. And I mean, she should have just turned right around. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just like, Clue number one. But she doesn't. They go and she helps him unpack. This kid is not making any moves on her. She's trying everything and he's (laughs) not
2: making a move on her. And they end up finding Nancy's diary. So that's what she was doing when off camera was journaling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they read the diary together and it starts opening up some doors the girl borrows the diary and starts doing investigative reporting like Nancy Drew off screen. So maybe that's where we're supposed to be understanding that's why she's so okay with this. It's that she understands this possession thing so well... And goes along with it because she read she believes a diary for face value.
2: Well, she also seems to very much be a new agey chick. She's like, Well, maybe you're getting psychic vibes. I mean, I think yes. she like hangs out with the crystal shop and things, you know? She's mm-hmm. she's way too willing to go with it where I think she had some desire to this type of thing beforehand, because she's not going with it a ghost. She's going like he's psychic. She, you know, probably used her mom's money to go get tarot card readings every
0: month or something. Wasn't psychic readings and things kind of in vogue back in this time? Didn't Nancy Reagan say that something about psychics and in uh, astrologists? N- she didn't say anything about
1: it. She just used astrology to help guide that White House.
0: I see. Okay.
2: Yeah. There's a kind of something that happens in this movie that I want to get to now, Jesse has a dream in science class where a boa constrictor is wrapping around him. And then later the parakeets in the house start attacking. Freddy's really bad to the animals in this. Was there any point to the snake scene or the parakeet scene? Is a flying, exploding parakeet scary? It is not scary. It is not
1: logical. I do want to point out one bit, though. The scene of the boys doing push-ups is cut with the lovebirds right afterwards. And I think that that was really what it was more about anyway. It was Let me get into what we haven't talked about. There is this jock character. Handsome guy. Should be getting all the ladies and all of that. Grady. But he's really just fascinated with Jesse. In fact, he can't leave Jesse alone. <laughs> and... And they're always getting into trouble on gym class. I think Snyder has a little thing for both of them, has them doing push-ups. We have gratuitous shots of their butts. They're always talking about what they're going to do, hanging out. They pull each other's pants down during gym class. Yes, exactly. There is a subtext between these two that is sometimes confrontational and sometimes flirtatious. And I think that that was cutting between them doing push-ups and cutting to the lovebirds was just adding more fuel to this fire that this is really just all about repressed homosexuality. And then, yes, one of the birds, bizarrely, not even in a dream, in reality, kills the other lovebird, flies out of the cage, explodes in front of the entire Walsh family, and the mean dad, who is the grumpiest paternal figure I think I've ever seen in a movie, blames the mom for buying that cheap seed. <laughs> that- <laughs> like to know i would like to go to petco and ask them what their cheapest seed is and if it in fact will make my bird explode
0: they got it from wiley coyote (laughs) (laughs) but you know what's really funny about that later in the movie they're in the kitchen and and jesse says to his father the house is something going on with the house house is something wrong and the father's like Nothing wrong with the house. And the toaster starts catching on fire and also exploding. And he sees the plug is unplugged. He says, it wasn't plugged in. That's the strangest thing I've ever seen. And I'm thinking, dude, you saw a bird spontaneously combust (laughs) in your living room. (laughs) That is the strangest thing you've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is the weirdest thing, and that should have been a trigger. I've got to say something right now. They really missed an opportunity in the storyline to explore the relationship between Jesse and his dad. A big part of Nightmare One was that Nancy and her mom had this sometimes loving, sometimes antagonistic relationship that pushed Nancy further into danger with Freddy. Why didn't they do that with this dad? He's a real jerk. And he's the total boss of the household. I don't know why Freddie didn't go
0: after the dad. It's actually a horror movie cliche, isn't it? That the mean parent gets it.
1: Yeah, it should have happened. I don't know why they would withhold that cliche. With all the cliches being flung around here, why didn't they use that one? It just I didn't like this family. I mean, I should just say that I felt like they didn't feel like a family. They didn't look like each other. They didn't really have to, a, re, a relationship with one another. At one point, we think as Jesse's becoming Freddy, he might kill his sister, but I never really thought that because why would he? What has she ever done to make him want to do that?
0: That made complete sense to me because Freddy kills kids. Uh, you know what it was? Freddy was
1: and acting like Freddy in this movie, so I didn't really think that that was what he was trying to do. Freddy wanted this guy's
2: body. That's <laughs> well, all that he cared about. The other thing is the parents and sister are completely forgotten for like the last half of the movie. Gone. Yeah, yeah, that's what I
1: mean. This whole family was a missed opportunity. I feel like they could have done something in this household other than blow up lovebirds. They didn't. And that was really a continuing problem as we spend so much time with them in the beginning, and they end up doing nothing.
2: Because I wonder, you know, they set up this car, the deadly dinosaur, right? There's this whole talk about this car being a piece of shit. It never goes anywhere. (laughs) Made me so mad. It made me
1: so mad that, yes, they establish these things that don't use them, and that was one of them.
0: Stuart, couldn't the coach's kill be in the place of the father's kill, and therefore it would be redundant to kill both of them?
2: It could have, yeah. All right, let's get to the coach's kill. So we're in this dream. Jesse goes to get some juice— Lightning strikes the plates, and so he goes to a gay bar. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. I couldn't tell if he was awake or dreaming at that point. I think it's supposed to feel like a dream. It certainly does, because again, as I mentioned last time, he's going out barefoot, and he's going how far away from his neighborhood to the seedy club, and... Of course, he, he just walks up and orders a beer and gets one. It felt very dreamy to me.
0: Agreed. And then when the coach shows up there in his SNM outfit, it took me a second to realize who it was, and I'm like, "Oh, this has to be a dream. He's dreaming that he wants to kill the coach, and, the, and Grady put down earlier that this guy hangs out in these kinds of bars, so it has to be a dream. But then they go to the school, and he's taking a shower in the real school. I love the coach's devotion to
2: his job. <laughs> he's out at a gay club. He's got the gear on. He's obviously hoping for some action. But there's one of his students, so his students shouldn't be underage drinking. So let's go and make him run some laps so he stops doing that
0: Yeah, <laughs> in the middle of the night. And Jesse agrees to that in the middle of the freaking night. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. I don't got my sneakers here, but I'll just do that anyway. And then they end up at the school, and he, and he says, hit the showers, and he listens and he goes into the shower. Well, he's sweaty. He's hot and sweaty. He's been running laps barefoot. But he found the guy in an
2: <laughs> S&M bar. So why would he go to the shower if he's being instructed to do so? Well, because you do what teachers say. And then Schneider gets attacked by balls. Yes,
0: he does. <laughs> Stuart, you want to chime in with this?
2: Uh, uh, you know, I think that speaks for itself. But,
1: uh, <laughs> you know, yes. Yes. The Freddy starts coming out, I should say, in, in lots of different ways. <laughs> Freddie is coming out at this point and snapping towels and essentially ties up the gym teacher and slashes him in the shower. And Jesse wakes up wearing the glove.
2: Yeah, it, it's definitely if you say that the bar was an SM joint. Yeah, this guy is tied up, spread eagle, whipped and then killed.
0: Exactly. The jump rope effect was quite effective. The way they made the real jump rope move around. I didn't see the wires. I thought that was pretty good. And I thought that was a really effective kill. It took a half an hour for the first kill to happen. What I didn't get is why the coach.
2: Because Freddy, like Stuart said earlier, wants to kill children. He's a child killer, be it just any child I could go with, like the sister, or getting vengeance on the parents who killed him by killing their kids, being teenagers. It is not Freddy's M.O. to kill a 30-something or 40-something gym coach.
0: Right. And what I took from it is because that he possessed Jesse – He's kind of weaning Jesse into killing people that he wants to kill before he starts killing for Freddy. That's the only thing I could think of as why they did that. But I could just be giving excuses for the movie but that's kind of what I got out of it once I thought about it.
1: I have no other way to explain that other than Freddy is the latent homosexuality that's coming out of him and making him do quote-unquote horrible things. We're not watching A Nightmare on Elm Street anymore. We're watching a very winking gay take on a slasher movie. There was a movie called The Hand in the early 80s. It was actually written by Oliver Stone, stars Michael Caine. It's about a cartoon artist who loses his hand and then finds that it's crawling around without him and murder all the people in his life that he has these pent-up hostilities towards. I feel like this movie definitely played off of that with the use of the glove, and that any time that he's putting on the glove and becoming Freddy, it's luring him to do the kinds of things that in the waking hour... The wholesome Jesse doesn't want to do. And I think that that's really the only way that I can understand the mode of Freddy and why he's doing what he's doing in this particular movie.
2: Now, what I found interesting, though, is at the end of this, you know, Jesse doesn't wake up in bed with the bloody glove on, which would have told me this is completely a nightmare. He never went to the club or anything. Instead, he's found walking naked on the street by police and they take him home and say, keep a short leash on him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, co- and the parents, of course, think that it's drugs. You know, that's the convenient excuse that uh, would explain all of this.
2: The next day... He goes back to school with Lisa. Schneider's dead. In the shower. Don't the police realize they just picked up a kid? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, we picked up a student naked and bloody last night. Maybe he was involved. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, if Springwood cops were better, they probably would have caught Freddie before he murdered 20 kids to begin with. They really probably are the worst police force ever to be formed. Very poor sleuthing on their part there. So I feel like with Freddie having a new... Mo, We're very far away from what was originally intended in Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street with this movie. We've really gone away from a lot about what I would recommend about that first movie. And there's barely any connection. They had the diary, and we eventually learned that Nancy's mom killed herself in the living room, quote— and that Nancy is institutionalized. She went crazy. And that we learn that Freddie did all of his horrible deeds in a power plant that he worked at. Like that, it didn't happen in that Elm Street house. It happened in some power plant. But other than that, I'm not seeing a real connection with the rest of the movie until we start getting towards the end and at the pool party.
2: Yes, Lisa, the rich girl, is having a huge pool party. All the cute guys and girls are there, including Jesse. To go to your claim about the gratuitous shots, I haven't seen this many gratuitous, topless male shots since I saw the first Jeepers Creepers.
1: I gotta say, that's, yeah, we're at a pool party, so of course this is the titty shots, right? Here we are, we're gonna get the titty shots. It's all dudes with no shirts. Like, I'm right on this, people. I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) This movie, Freddy is gay!
0: (laughs) And they had a girl for every guy at that party, too. It's like, every guy Mm -hmm. paired up with a pretty... Girl, which I thought was, I don't know, you know, there are people who hook up at parties, but everybody gets one? Damn! (laughs) I want to go to that party. With, with the parents at the grill cooking and, and, and enabling all of this. I, I got
2: to say there's not a girl for every guy because when Freddy shows up at the very end and there's like the big smash, there's like four guys creeping out of the shadows. And I was like, <laughs> what are they doing? And one um. of them is like covering himself like he you know been violated. It's kind of amusing. <laughs> was, I didn't notice that. That's I didn't hilarious. notice that either, yeah. He's like got his hands across his chest like a woman covering herself and he's huddled over and he's like walking tentatively. It's very strange they're like these four guys coming out of the shadows that remind me of the rest area scene there's something about Mary <laughs> Jesse is of course troubled by Schneider's death and to make it up to him Lisa's gonna put out in the cabana
1: except the idea is so revolting to him a giant Freddy tongue comes out of him as he's going down on her and he has to run away to
2: Grady
0: <laughs> he had a tongue come out of his mouth he thought Grady yes <laughs>
2: What was with that tongue, Freddie? never really yeah. had a big tongue? No,
0: I feel like oh.
1: the tongue is a is a recurring motif in Elm Street. I feel like that's something they do a lot of, like something about big yucky tongues. you know they did the phone licking Nancy in the first one, and I know
2: we see tongues later in and, and future sequels. I, d- I don't know. It's just one of the things they do. And so, yes, he runs to Grady. And I got to talk a minute about Grady's room because I yeah. haven't seen anything quite so 80s since the opening credits to Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I mean, you got a stray cat's poster. You got this crazy neon wallpaper. I mean, this thing is just quintessential 80s, and I found it to be Adorable.
1: They even have a poster of Lamal. I defy either one of you. Do you know who Lamal is? He wrote the theme to NeverEnding Story. Oh, very good. I'm very impressed. Like, who would even print a poster of that guy? One song.
2: (laughs) So he's in the room with Grady. To go back to Stuart's point, there's some great lines. Like, Jesse's like, there's someone who wants in my body. And Grady's like, yes, and she's in the cabana, and you want to be here with me. We get the don't fall asleep line. Grady falls asleep. And then we get this massive transformation to Freddy. The goriest transformation yet. You see the eye in the back of the mouth, which freaked me out so much when I was 12. And now it's kind of funny.
0: It is kind of funny, but it's effective. And the whole against the wall, him crawling out of his body, but really out of the wall. A cheap trick. But it worked. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: it's there's no doubt about it that the fact that Freddie is coming out while he's with the woman and that he seeks comfort with Grady means something to me. That's very telling and that Freddie totally emerges while in the bedroom of Grady. I think that can back up the claims that I'm making about this movie. Again, the way that he pops out of the body, goes with my idea that this is sort of like thriller in the werewolf scene, that it's lycanthropy, that Freddy comes out of him, and uh, it's is it cheap? Sure, but it's definitely one of the movie's best visual effects. It's nice to see Freddy come back into the movie after spending much of the movie not on camera, not even cracking a joke. I got to say, Grady, out of all the people on camera, was in many ways the one that felt the most polished, the most like someone that would be in one of these movies. Everyone else, I
2: felt like we never saw them again, never worked. This guy probably still works in TV or something. Yeah, he's still working. He's not working a lot. He's basically one of the millions of I did one guest spot on 24 and one guest spot on NICS. Yes,
1: yeah, that's exactly what I see him doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just got that L.A. actor quality about him that none of these other people do. I felt like a lot of these people had Southern accents. Am I wrong in this? Didn't you feel like these were people that were from Texas or from other parts of the country that they were not from California? This guy felt California, and the rest of the cast felt Middle America. And and Well, it's supposed to be Ohio, even
2: though, again, it didn't feel like Ohio. Mm,
1: it's a, it's a very strange feel uh, anyway i digress when grady gets killed i feel like wow that was the only character in, in this movie that felt like a slasher movie character and now i don't know what is going to happen
2: i don't know where this is leading to it leads to a very bad place because after grady gets killed this movie goes off the rails because this is what freddie goes to the pool party <laughs> J- jesse covered in grady's blood runs back to lisa And then metamorphosizes into Freddy. The fish die. More poor animals. (laughs) And Lisa watches the transformation. Tries to stab Freddy. Freddy is breaking furniture. He doesn't like the bric-a-brac in Lisa's parents' house. And then he goes and terrorizes a pool party. And this is where it just didn't work for me.
0: So he does terrorize the pool party. And I'm going with that this guy is possessed by Freddy. But at this point, when it's actually Freddy... At the party and people actually see Freddy. We don't get that they're seeing Jesse covered in blood with this claw on his hand. We're getting that they see Freddy. And one shot of the POV shot of one of these victims or one of these people who are screaming seeing Jesse covered in blood would have been a good way to say he's just possessed. You're not getting it, though.
2: He isn't possessed. He's a gateway. And it is Freddy. It's not Jesse doing the killing.
0: So you're saying he comes out of Jesse in Grady's bedroom, and then he goes back into Jesse to go to, to Lisa, and then he comes back out again? Yeah, and then it's Jekyll and Hyde. He keeps
2: metamorphosizing. Or a werewolf. Okay.
1: Yeah, they split in two. Yeah, it's because there's still a physical Jesse, and there's still a physical Freddy in this world now. Everything about a dream world has been
0: totally thrown out. Big mistake there. Big mistake. Well, wait a and- minute, though. At the end of the movie, when she conquers Freddy, when, when Jesse comes out of the burnt shell of what is left of Freddy, you see? So that helps my possession angle more. But you're right. It seems like he comes out of him completely. There's a physical transformation,
2: be it possession or anything. They are two spirits inhabiting one body. But whoever's the dominant personality takes on the physical okay, form. It is it, it nobody is seeing Jesse running around with a glove. It. Okay.
1: All I can tell you is at this point I am lighting cigarettes. And burning my arm to try and stay awake myself. No, that happens
2: in part three. And wake up from the nightmare that is this horrible movie. Cause, yeah, he gets shot at by the father after throwing kids in a the pool. There's a funny scene. Again, I said this movie has some comedy where, like, this guy's walking up to Freddy like he's an animal. Like, it's okay. We don't want to hurt you. How can I help you? And It's cool, man. yeah. <laughs> And, of course, Freddy gets another good line. Help yourself, fucker! And throws him in the pool. I don't know. He, he should have slashed him instead of just throwing him at the grill or something. But <laughs> Nothing, yes, nothing is right anymore. It's all been thrown
1: out, and we're just in a swirling mess of uh, half-baked
2: ideas. And no matter how tough Freddy is, you gotta think there were so many teens at this party, they could have bum-rushed him.
0: Seriously. Absolutely right. Yeah.
2: But Lisa... Pleads with Jesse, and so Freddy just leaves the party literally in a burst of flame. I'm glad you remember that because I couldn't – I seriously was struggling to stay awake at this
1: point in the movie. And I Stuart, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I was trying not to, but it's – I couldn't remember how the scene even ended. I was
2: like, what will make this end? He just walks away, and so Lisa chases him to the power plant's boiler room. And then we get some, like, trippy things, like there's dogs with human faces. Yeah, what Um, was that? It was a
1: theft from one of my very favorite uh, horror movies called Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the late 70s. Got to see it. That scene will scare the shit out of you when you see it in, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I kid you not. I still think about that scene and just my spine is crawling.
2: But uh, it's a theft and, and for no reason. And then we see a cat eating a rat. I don't get all the animals in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and – There's a couple weird things where, like, she sees the bite, Freddy bit her leg, and it's covered in insects, and she's freaking out, and then they're gone, and she thinks she's falling through some catwalk, and she isn't. And then she finds Freddy, and Freddy's having an inner turmoil with Jesse, and so flames come out, and Freddy melts Is there anything we want to talk about leading up to this? Or I mean, nothing really good happens, does it? Nothing coherent. We
1: realize we're in some kind of weird dream, and when Lisa, the Meryl Streep clone, is kissing Freddie and turning him straight again, I realize we're now in a fundamentalist Christian dream of marriage, (laughs) and that's what this whole nightmare has been: is every gay man is one Meryl Streep kiss away from turning straight.
2: If I kissed Meryl Streep, it would turn me gay.
1: That's what I was thinking. I'm like, couldn't they have gotten a hotter Lisa? I, I just, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually like Lisa's friend Carrie better than Lisa. Yeah, she doesn't do much. She doesn't even get killed. No, but she's why cuter. Is, yeah, why is she in
2: this movie? I, exactly. I don't, I, I don't get it. But so she needs a friend. I thought it was Grady's girlfriend. I thought
0: it was Grady's hookup. But well, she liked Grady, but Grady wasn't playing ball. No, he was not having. Anything. No,
1: he
2: was playing with balls. Yeah. So. Yeah. But um, shh. Now. Freddy melts, and this is, I think, a really cool death for Freddy. The flames come out of nowhere, you know, it's supernatural,
0: whatever. Everything's lit on fire, all the railings and things. But in the last movie, Freddy was set
2: on fire. Yeah, we saw the full body burn, but when Freddy was beaten in the last movie, he just kind of goes out in this cheesy burst of light. And here we get to see Freddy melt, and pieces are dripping off of him. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I like the whole thing. I like the whole running of the fire and how it turns on and off as if it was a faucet, but that's okay. I thought it was an effective effect and I liked the ending. I like how he melted. I thought it was great.
1: I think Kevin Yeager's effects are consistently usually pretty good. And I think when we've seen his work and other stuff and, and, and probably in the future sequels, uh, we'll probably keep observing this. I can't say that I particularly like this one just because I was in misery at this point. I just wanted this movie
2: (laughs) to end. Out of Freddy, as you said, emerges Jesse from the ashes. Right. Yes. That was a little strange to me. I, I would have. Been okay with Jesse dying. I think. Yeah, usually
1: that doesn't happen. I feel like usually you have to kill. If you kill the Wolfman, you've also killed the man. But whatever, they want to, you know, set you up for another false happy ending that goes bad. And so we return to the bus.
0: Stuart, I thought you meant usually it doesn't happen when you get engulfed in flames. You don't usually walk out unscathed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you don't. That's true. So kids, don't
2: try that at home. Now, we see some amount of time must have passed, I would think, because Jesse's walking out of his house and he goes, I can't believe I'm going back, meaning to school, right? Mm-hmm. And his arms are bandaged. Did he only suffer arm burns from the full body flame up?
1: I couldn't tell you.
2: But time has passed. Do we agree?
1: Yes. I mean, it feels like the end of the first movie where she's caught up in this police drama and her m- mom just disappeared into the bed and all of a sudden she's walking out the door and it's a bright sunny day and her friends are waiting in the car. It's just kind of like that. It's like, oh, okay, now things are good again. Like this whole bad evil vibe has been cast out. But
2: again, he says, I can't believe I'm going back. And then he gets on the school bus and the first words Carrie says to Lisa, great party, Lise. How much time has passed if they're still you know, talking <laughs> about the fucking party.
0: <laughs> Maybe it was just and, a day, like Sunday, and it's now Monday morning. And he
2: can't believe he's going back to school on Monday? Uh, Arnie? Maybe it's been the Nancy Thompson thing. All my friends just died. I can't believe I'm going back. But that's not how the line was delivered. I hear you. And did anything happen in the party that we saw that would really happen? Because
1: if I went to a party and a serial murderer was chasing around my friends in a boiling pool, I don't know that I would think it was great.
0: Yeah, my friends died right in front of me. Great party,
2: Lisa. Well, she was being sarcastic. It was, you know, great party. And then Freddy's glove bursts from her chest.
0: What what gets me about the ending of this movie is we establish that Jesse is Lisa's ride to school. Yet, in the end of the scene, so we have the symmetry from the beginning of the movie, they get on a school bus.
2: I I thought it was because his arms
0: were burned and he can't drive. His hands are kind of immobilized. Oh, I did not make that connection. All right, so I think we've come to the point where I can ask both of you. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge? Stuart. God, no.
1: (laughs) Are you kidding? This should have killed the whole series. Seriously, this should have stopped it dead. And if they didn't pull it together and figure out how to make Freddy work as a continuing character, this would have been the end. There would have been no nightmare if it had rested on Jack's shoulder's shoulders for the rest of its run. What's amazing to me is that I thought New Line would have learned that this was terrible, but they ended up remaking this movie the very next year. If you hunt down a movie called My Demon Lover. I love that movie. It's exactly the same movie with Scott Valentine. It's a terrible uh, the, movie. Yes, it's horrid, horrid Horrible. movie, and New Line made it. I saw it twice in theaters. I think I saw it with you, yes, and I remember did. hating it. <laughs>
0: I actually saw it in the theaters too, by the way. That's now, oh God.
1: So there you go. Uh, my Demon Lover. There's my uh, review. If you like My Demon Lover, <laughs> you will like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and everyone else on this planet run screaming away into part three because don't spend any time on this junk. They don't know what they're doing and they will figure
2: it out. Arnie. This movie is an aberration in the series. And when I first saw it, I didn't like it. And m- growing up, When I was such a huge Freddy fan, this was consistently rated to me as the worst of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But the reason I was rating it this way wasn't based on the movie, it's the fact that it broke the rules of Freddy. There's not enough dreams, there's not enough cool imagery, there's not enough special effects, you know? It just didn't work for me as a kid on that level. But I've been watching this movie now for over 20 years, and much like a brother that you don't really get along with he's still family and you still love him and this movie's really grown on me over 20 years and i constantly enjoy myself when i watch it so i'm gonna flip what i did to back to the future three there i recommended the movie for the viewers but not for me here i don't recommend this movie to viewers i can't imagine myself sitting with somebody and going you really should see a nightmare on elm street part two i can't recommend (laughs) it but man do i love this movie
0: all right and wow. I have. that's interesting. For me, I got to say, I really enjoyed watching this movie. I had a good time watching it. I was entertained. When I watch horror movies, I say to myself at the end, after I watch these movies, did I enjoy myself? And the answer is yes. During the course of this conversation, yeah, I ripped it to shreds with both of you. And there are certainly bad things about this movie. But at the end of the day, I had a good time. What I liked about the movie the most was I did realize that they did not follow the thread of the first movie into this one. And I had issues with the dream versus reality kind of stuff in the first movie. And I have no idea how that's going to work in the next upcoming sequels. But here, I thought they established until the end the possession angle pretty well. And I like the fact that Freddy had to come to this guy in his dreams and took over his body through his dreams. And that concept worked for me. Yes, the movie has a lot of flaws, and it's not a great, great movie, but I had a lot of fun watching it. Would I recommend this to other people? Yes. Is it a strong recommendation? It's not like, you got to see this movie, but I had fun watching it, and I thought the concept worked for the most part, but yes, this movie is extremely flawed, but again, it comes down to it. Did you enjoy watching it? And the answer is yes.
2: I got to say, Brock, that surprised me because I came into this just expecting you to have a buttload of issues with this film and to rip it
0: apart. I'm really shocked. I did rip it apart. You know, this movie had something that the first one didn't have and a lot of the horror movies didn't have. I wasn't laughing at the movie the entire time, although I was. There was actually an earned laugh. There was a part in the movie when the coach busts the two guys again for talking crap about him in the locker room. And they do a quick cut of them out in the field doing more push-ups, and they did cut away quickly. That was an actually an earned chuckle for me. Not a guffaw, not a knee slapper, but it was like, <laughs> and they got me there. And I was like, wow, I actually laughed intentionally in the horror movie where they wanted me to laugh, as opposed to later in the movie when I'm laughing at the movie when a long, gigantic prosthetic tongue comes out of this guy. So I'm acknowledging the stupidity of this thing. But the idea and the concept of possession overall, I thought, was an interesting way to use Freddy. And I overall enjoy this movie. But yes, I am – be very, very clear here, folks. This is not a perfect movie. This is a flawed movie, and it does abandon a lot of the concepts of the first one. But since I had some problems with the concept in the first one, this being the first time I've seen this one, I had a really good time. So I want to say, if you want to hear more about our retrospective series – Oh, we're not done. We're not done. Yeah – I've been waiting for this. This is
1: the
2: only thing that's gotten me through this podcast. (laughs) Give me my song. (laughs) It's time for us to return to Freddy's greatest hits.
0: (laughs) Ah,
2: what's on the agenda today, Arnie? This is track two off the record. It is an original song. Hmm. I like that. This song is called Dance or Else. (laughs) (laughs) no truer words have ever been spoken all right and it's freddie and the elm street group all right so let's listen to dance or else (laughs) <laughs> now, you asked if Freddy was in there with the headphones I think this proves he was
0: Or else <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if he's like the B-52s and says dance or else
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh no There's a man in a sweater <laughs> <laughs> He's got knives Woo You're right But no this feels more slinky This is like an R&B groove You know this
0: is like Um God, who would who would do a song like this? I'll tell you, in the one crazy summer, Cassandra, to me more, would do this <laughs> song.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, I'm like I'm hearing like a a Janet Jackson or something, a little bit R and B. Oh yeah, okay, yeah,
0: off her Control yeah. album.
1: Yeah, Control, right? <laughs>
0: or else.
1: I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> best night Remember, Freddy's always right Scared? But you think you got the cure? Set down Freddy's bad cure Ooh Ooh He's like Barry White, I'm all worked up (laughs) (laughs) Woo Woo
0: (laughs) Hee (laughs) hee hee Here's a dance break where he does the Freddy Yeah,
1: I know, right? I'm moonwalking, people, right now. I love it. Yeah, actually, this is a five-minute song somehow. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on a limb here, guys. I kind of like this one. It's got a beat, and you can kill to it. <laughs> Thump, up.
0: ooh,
1: the ladies love the Freddy. <laughs> I- I-
2: yo, 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 Freddy's gonna get ya. Pop, pop, pop. Check out Freddy's manicure. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Why do
1: they have to make constant reference to the... I guess it's his thing, right? You can't talk about Freddy and not talk about the glove?
0: Well, the manicure is just misleading. It's not like he has French chips or anything.
1: Yeah, it's funky. It's, uh, it's silly. I, you know, compared to that last one, which was lazy and not even um, understandable, uh,
2: I get this. Freddy's ready to go to the club. And now we get the
0: thrashing guitar solo. Is Freddie playing the guitar? Yeah. If this was done in the 90s, it would be Slash. <laughs> yeah. Because it would totally work. His name is Slash, you know? I, you know, I've heard worse. I yeah, feel like too, this actually. is a better
1: song than part
2: two was a movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: so this was the lead single? <laughs> and Freddie's more involved in this song, you know? Yeah. It's not just sound bites of the laughs. Yeah. Are we
1: sure that it's Robert England? Or is it just a guy imitating Robert England? It is Robert England. Really?
2: Why would he do that? He Funny. also, you know, we'll talk about this with part three and four, but he also hosted an hour of videos on MTV. You know, it's it's a gig. Wow. Yeah.
0: As Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I know.
2: Yes, as Freddy Krueger. Oh my God. Don't think any other
1: uh, horror character ever achieved the kind of notoriety, the infamy. The loving—it was weird. I mean, I remember being in toy stores and seeing Freddy Krueger dolls, and I'm like, who would buy their child a child murderer for
0: Christmas? <laughs> they had a Chucky doll, though. Come it, on. Seemed,
1: it really was like a weird statement on our, our society that Freddy could be this beloved. Yeah,
2: I mean, he we're fans of Freddy if we're fans of the series. So Yeah,
1: well, I'm a fan of this song. I got to say, I like it. Good job. Good job, Freddy fun
0: i i give it a solid b minus <laughs> it's not terrible that was not it's terrible.
1: not terrible it's no. silly of course but then again we are reviewing Freddie's <laughs> musical for uh, i think i think it it's it's better than the Freddie. i'm doing i'm dancing Freddie. you better dance or else uh, i know
2: are else. you doing the freddy or I, else I, or else
0: and you Great. better go to our website www.nowplayingpodcast.com or, or else, else and listen to our other podcasts in this series and our other horror series like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Saw. We also did Back to the Future, Star Trek, Terminator, and a few more. If you uh, like what you're hearing, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive review, and you can go to our website and find a link to our forums where you can discuss this review and our other reviews with listeners like yourself. You
2: can also come to our Facebook page, the links from our homepage, and our Twitter account. We're having a great discussion on the Facebook page right now about Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. So you can check that out.
0: Fantastic. Stuart Arnie. thank you for joining me today. It's been quite an educational (laughs) ride through this movie. Well, I'm becoming my dream warrior self and
1: getting ready for part three. See you then. (laughs) I'm rocking to (laughs) docking.
0: And until next time, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Now, no one sleeps. Thank you for listening to our Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. But there's so much more to learn. Keep coming to NowPlayingPodcast.com every week to get the latest episode.
1: Oh, yeah!
0: Great to be back in business. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, stop by our forums to post your thoughts on this series. You can also find us on Twitter as Now Playing Pod or our Now Playing Podcast fan page on Facebook. Tell him, Frank, sent you. Links to the forums, Facebook, and Twitter pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Next time,
1: don't
0: don't stay away so long. A Nightmare on Elm Street is copyright and trademarked New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Entertainment. You think you've got what it takes? Now playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers Entertainment, or Platinum Dunes. I am eternal. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010, all rights reserved. Good morning. Good morning.
1: I'm here. Mm Hmm. Why is is my uh, headset licking me right now?
0: Yes, a lot of licking going on in these (laughs) days.
2: I'm your boyfriend now, Stuart. (laughs) Stuart, I've known you for about 30 years, and I don't think in my entire life I've heard you say titty. Titty shot. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's... Titty shot, don't act like you don't know what that is. I'm oh, gonna- I know exactly what it is. I'm just, I'm like, Stuart said titty.
0: <laughs> I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says titty shot.
2: But t-shirt? I have a tattoo, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's right above his
0: groin. <laughs> Why do I know this? I don't know. I want to see the sequel with that big giant rat Chuck E. Cheese has the claw in his hand. And starts killing the kids in the ball pit. That's what I want to see.
1: Hey, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. I want to see that too.
0: <laughs> and you got a token for it every time. You got the little mm-hmm. things you can get you can tickets trade in. for
2: the more kids yeah. first laugh. i
1: give Freddie all the tickets he wants if they let those brats stop grabbing me. <laughs> Worst <laughs> summer of my life.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you how I know that. I had the theme, I had this piano sheet music, and that was the <laughs> cover. Of the sheet music for Never Ending Story. Awesome. Yep. Although I did have a dream I was riding Falcor once. That was awesome. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I bet you a lot of kids had dreams of riding Falcor, And Uh, I know we're talking about latent homosexuality in this movie, but that's not what I meant by that. Yes, Brock, ride
2: Falcor, ride.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, shit. All right, let's get this over with, people. We got to move on.
2: And then Freddy's glove bursts from her chest.
0: Titties. Titties. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, Stuart. Well played.